Again, our reading is Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, good morning and welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. It's good to be with you. Happy Father's Day uh, as well. And um, yeah, it's fun to be able to celebrate that together. It's kind of a weird holiday though, right? If you think about it. I mean, everybody here has a dad. No exceptions. Like we all have a dad, good, bad, and ugly, right? Um, and today we celebrate all of them. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but like for me, so I'm, like I'm, this is so strange, isn't it? But I think this is true of many of us. I'm almost 40. Um, that part might, may not be true to you. Um, maybe it is, I don't know. I'm almost 40, so I'm like, I'm a grown man, okay? Uh, I left uh, my parents' house when I was 18 years old, more than half my life ago, and yet, Still, I want my dad's approval, right? Like, I still, I still want him to, to compliment me, to be impressed with me. And, and, you know, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of the relationship you've had or didn't have with your father, well, your parents may not even still be living. And yet, like, how many of us here continue living for their approval? And it's not just our, our parents or our dads. I mean, that's part of it, certainly. And, you know, there is a unique kind of baggage that comes with family history, right? You know, I feel like I need to apologize to my kids already, right? But it's not, it's not just our families. I mean, for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we live our lives trying to impress or gain the affirmation or approval of, of certain people, don't we? All of us do. We're consumed oftentimes with the opinions of others. I can't tell you how many, I mean, they don't have to teach my kids this, right? They're 10 and 12, but I can't tell you how many times we've had to say to them, you know, we don't really care if your teacher thinks a little less of you because you're not perfect, right? Or you don't have to have all of your classmates like you. Aren't you glad mom and dad have it all figured out, right? I mean, meanwhile, right, Kelly measures herself up against other, other moms, against her coworkers. She's obsessed with closing our blinds with fear that someone might see in and somehow start judging us, right? Some stranger. I'm so much better than them. Right. Pastors can be the worst at this. I mean, seriously, we, we can be. Like, I, I compare myself to my colleagues. I mean, Reed, you want to arm wrestle? Can we do that? Um, I compare myself to other, other churches, other pastors. I mean, I stand up here on Sunday morning and I will spend the rest of my day wondering if you thought it was good enough. It's embarrassing, isn't it? How much of our lives is spent at work, school, at home, our friends, our enemies, strangers even? 
It may not look the same for all of us. And yet, let me ask, who is your audience? Whose opinion matters most? Who are you trying to impress or gain the approval of? Because here, here is a startling reality. The audience you choose determines the life that you live. I'm, conv- I'm convinced of that, and I think we see that in this story this morning with Abram. The audience you choose, the one that you know is watching, that you want to impress or gain the approval of, right? The audience you choose determines the life that you live. If, it, if it's your parents, it's going to be their vision of your life that you're living out. If it's, if it's your friends, that you're going to be constantly trying to, to please them, to impress them. If it's your colleagues, you're going to be consumed with success. It's exhausting, isn't it? And, and so as a culture, we've, we've kind of come up with a solution to this. We've said basically just stop caring, right? Like that's our solution. Just like, just, you know, do you. And who cares what other people think? And there's a lot that's right about that, Right? I mean, you shouldn't be controlled by the opinions of others. We know that. Like, there's so much that's good there, and yet there are three fundamental problems with that just stop caring what other people think mentality. First of all, you can't do it. Nobody can do it, like, unless you're a narcissist. Right? You, can't, you can't do it, right? We, we, we humans need each other to live meaningful lives. And so you can't just stop caring what some people think. That's the first problem with that. Second second problem is even if you could, even if you could just stop caring, you would alienate everybody you love, right? You'd be a terrible friend, a terrible spouse, a terrible coworker. To have meaningful relationships, you have to care what other people think, at least a little bit, right? And then third, you'd only trade the pressure of others for the pressure you put on yourself. So not only would you be immensely lonely if you just stopped caring what other people think, now all the anxiety to find the best life, to find meaning and satisfaction, rests on you alone. So you better figure it out. What if I told you there's another way? We all have an audience. We all hunger for someone's approval. And the audience you choose determines the life that you live. So who's the right audience? Let me pray and then we'll jump in to this text together. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you uh, this morning. And as we gather here in this space, God, I'm, I'm thankful for my own dad. I'm thankful for the fathers in this room and God, with, with a day like today, we want to celebrate with those who are rejoicing in this reality, but also at the same time, we want to acknowledge that there, there are people here who never had a good relationship with their father. There are people here who are still grieving the loss of their father, who long to be fathers but can't. And so God, we want to, we want to weep with those who weep as well, and we pray that you'd be near the brokenhearted. And as we come to your word this morning, 
for all of us, God, I pray that you would be our audience, that your opinion would be the one that matters most, and that we would, on the one hand, be deeply convicted by our own sinfulness and lack, but at the same time encourage that you, through Jesus Christ, look on us as, as beloved children, as a father who will never betray us, who will never hurt us, who will never let us down. So Father, be with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you haven't already, turn to Genesis 17. We're starting to build pick up some speed now, right? In Genesis, we were so long in those first three chapters. Now we're already in chapter 17. Not bad, huh? And, and we've been talking about this, this covenant, right, that God made with, with Abram, and we've, we've looked at different iterations of that in, in chapter 12. We talked about that in chapter 15. And, and here again in, in 17, and, and we've said, right, that God, God plans his, if you look back in the garden and we screwed everything up, right, his, he plans to redeem his world and his people through this this family, Abram, through this, this, this people, and that we know that eventually like, Jesus is going to be one of, one of his descendants. But after, after last week, like, if you're here, don't you kind of think Jesus or God should like, uh, like start over? Like, I mean, you kind of hear some of these stories about Abram, and you're like, like he's, he's our hope, right? He, he's the one that you've chosen, God? I mean, think about it. Like last week, we looked at like God promised him a son, and so he sleeps with his wife's servant, and they have a son together, and then essentially he discards both of them. This is our hero? No, it's not. And keep this in mind as we study Genesis, and really as we study all of the scriptures, right? The, the, the characters, the human players on the, on, the, on the stage are not the heroes. It's God is the hero. And we're going to see this over and over. There's so many failures in this family. We know this. The, the, the characters that we read about, they're important to God's plan, but they are just like us, super broken and downright messy. Abraham is not the hero of this story. And so now 13 years pass since last week, basically, since the birth of Ishmael, this son with the, the servant woman, Hagar. 13 years. Like it, almost, it almost makes me wonder if this is kind of God's like cooling down period. It's like, Abram, I told you, right? I revealed myself to you. I made these promises to you. Now, like, think about what you did, right? For 13 years, there's silence. When God shows up again. And it's a pretty important declaration. Let me read again. Verse 17, we're really going to just spend most of our time on these first couple verses today. Let me read it again. When Abram was 99 years old, yikes, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. The audience you choose determines the life that you live. Let's look more closely at this. I'm going to ask three questions as we go to kind of organize our time together. Uh, so the first question here 
that I think is coming out of this, this text is, first, we just got to ask, like, do you know who's watching, right? Like, God wants Abram to know, and, and for us, like, whether we recognize it or not, or believe in him or not, to be able to say, God is always watching. And, and who is this God that's, that reveals himself to, to Abram? Well, look, take a closer look, verse, verse one again, right? The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Like, Abram, that's, that's who I am, God Almighty. And, and, I mean, there's some things to note there. Like, he comes to God, so God is always the one who initiates, right? He, he comes to us. I mean, this is a picture of his grace revealing himself to us, and he calls himself God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's uh, the, the phrase El Shaddai. And Shaddai, that word in particular in Hebrew, is used about 50 times, almost 50 times, uh, to refer to God throughout the, the Old Testament. Um, and scholars aren't exactly sure what it means, like precisely. They know it has to do with God's power, his strength, and so it's most often translated as, as God Almighty. Um, it, it's like God the all-powerful, God the self-sufficient. Some have even said maybe it's God of the mountains, which, you know, I kind of love personally. Uh, but the idea there, like with that, that title for God, El Shaddai, is that this God is the God. Like, Abram, like, don't, don't miss that, right? And, and when Moses, so again, Moses is the one writing Genesis. When Moses uses this title for God, it's most often connected with God's promises to us as well as our need to respond to him with faithful obedience, so that, that title, when Moses uses it, like don't miss this, it's important. It, it's connected, almost always connected to God's promises and our responsibility to him when God says, I'm God Almighty. And so it's kind of like God is saying, even just with that, that title, God is saying, hey, Abe, I know it's impossible. You and Sarah to finally be able to have children. But I'm the God who made the mountains. I'm God Almighty, I got this. But at the same time, Abe, Abe, you gotta, you gotta trust me. Like that thing with Hagar, that was, that, was not, that was not good. Like if I'm gonna be your God, you've got to live before me as if I am your God. I am God Almighty. And so even with that, that phrase, there, there are these privileges of being with this God, being seen by him, and there are, there are responsibilities which I think we know is, is, that's true of any relationship, right? I mean, we just got home as a, as a family uh, from our kind of our family vacation for the summer. We spent a week uh, camping and hiking in Utah and then a week in Arizona. And Arizona is a place we often end up because my, my aunt has a condo there uh, that we get to use pretty much anytime we want to, which is an incredible privilege of our family, right? That we get, to, we love this place. We've been there several times. It's awesome. It's free. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's a privilege, but it's not ours. Like we can't just like decide to sell it one day or rearrange the furniture, right? Like it, it doesn't belong to us. We have the responsibility to use that space as if my aunt were there with us, right? As if, as she would want us to be using it. Now the, the difference maybe is that my aunt is not watching us while we're there. Uh, unless she has hidden cameras, which is just super weird. Um, I don't think that's the case, but like she can't see us. And yet when, when God comes to Abram and gives this title for himself, like you see the privilege and the responsibility that, that, okay, church, God Almighty keeps his promises. 
Don't miss that. But he also expects his people to live like his people. And so do you know who is watching you? The audience you choose determines the life that you live. And if you recognize that it is God Almighty watching, here's the second question. Do you walk before him? Like consciously, knowingly, live your life before his watching eyes. Again, verse, verse one, I'm God Almighty, walk before me. Walk before me, Abram. Church. I mean, literally, it's walk in my face, is what God says. Walk knowing that I am all seen, that there's nothing you can hide from me. And it's, it's a command, right? Do this. But having studied the rest of Genesis, right, we should also recognize, like, this is an invitation, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, in some ways, it's God inviting Abram back into the garden, even just a tiny bit into that kind of that intimacy, that knowledge, that relationship that, that God had with Adam and Eve. God says, walk before me. I love how Oz Guinness says it. Oz is a, uh, he's a friend of, of Christ's community. He's been with us several times. He's going to come again uh, this fall uh, and be with us um, kind of do an evening talk for all of our campuses uh, together. Uh, and his, his book, it's an older book now, The Call, uh, has deeply impacted our church. And he uses the phrase in there, audience of one, that, that our life is to be lived before an audience of one, right? That God is to be that, that audience. And one of the things he says, listen to this, he says, only, only madmen, geniuses, and if you think you're one of those, you're probably not, um, only madmen, geniuses, and supreme egotists do things purely for themselves, It's easy to buck a crowd, not too hard to march to a different drummer, but it is truly difficult, perhaps impossible, to march only to your own drumbeat. Most of us, whether we are aware of it or not, do things with an eye to the approval of some audience or other. The question is not whether we have an audience, but which audience we have. And so for some of us, like instead of walking before God, this is what he's getting at here, instead of walking before God, you're still walking before somebody. Right, this is where we started. You're still walking with an eye towards someone. Could be a friend, a colleague, could be a parent, could be your children. Because we know people are watching. And it's, it's not that their opinion doesn't matter, it's that it doesn't matter most. And if you give them too much weight, your entire life is gonna be spent living their vision for your life, right? Living out their desires for your life. And you could end up spending your entire life trying to walk before them rather than walk before God. And you could actually please them, at least some of the time in the process, and look pretty decent, and yet completely ignore God. It's painful the way uh, H.B. Charles says it. He specifically writes this about pastors, but I think it applies to all of us. I mean, we're in this together, people. If I'm going down, you're coming with me. Um, just kidding. Okay, but listen, listen to what he says. It is specifically written towards pastors, but I think it's applicable for all of us. He says, it does not matter that you are a great success before man. 
if you are a horrible failure before God. Which is so obvious. It's like we know that, and yet, boy, I sure spent a lot of time in my life on the first half trying to look successful, look right, look good, say the right things in front of people, and even just forget that God is the one who's ultimately watching. I mean, it's essentially what Jesus said, right? You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And I realize some of you are like, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't do that, right? I walk before me. I don't walk before others. I walk before me. I am my audience. I mean, no disrespect, first of all, though, I don't believe you. I just don't. But I think there's somebody. It may, it may be a, a lesser audience or a smaller audience or a less common one than some others choose, right? You may not be in the general flow of things, but there's still someone out there you want to impress. But even if it is true, and there's, there's no one but you, like, you're, you're still going to crush yourself. Because you can't, you can't even live up to your own standards. Like the rules you make for yourself, you break them all the time. Like your desires, your priorities, they're constantly changing and conflicting. We want our cake and to eat it too, right? And chances are you still have that voice inside your head subtly whispering, you'll never be enough. It'll never be good enough. You need a better audience than you. Okay, okay, fine, fine. I don't want others to be my primary audience. I think, I think we all agree on that, right? We, we don't want to live our life trying to impress some random people, right? Even the people that are important to us. We know that. We can all agree there. And maybe, maybe you'd even say, okay, maybe it's not best for me to be my own audience, to be my own authority in all things. But the question still remains, why is God the better audience? Why should I live before him instead of myself or others? Well, I think the answer comes out to that comes out in our last question. The last question I want us to consider is, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? The audience you choose determines the life that you live, and only this audience both commands and promises wholeness. Look again at the verses, right? He says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Walk before me and be blameless. I think many of us, though, we hear that, we kind of quickly dismiss it, like, well, I can't do that, right? That, the bar is way too high. And we, we, we think of perfection, right, when we hear the word blameless, and yet, the Hebrew here, it's the, it's the word tome in the Hebrew, um, which really just means wholeness, like to be, to be whole, like we were in the garden. Walk before me and be whole. Walk before me and be like we were before everything fell apart in the garden. And it, it is a command, right, clearly, be blameless, be, be whole, and yet the whole rest of this chapter is essentially God's promise to, to Abram to make his life whole. And this is where he even changes Abram's name to Abraham. We can finally just call him Abraham because it's, it's, you know, it's so hard to go back and forth, right? Um, he changes his name and he reaffirms that I'm going to do this. I don't care that you're 99, Abram, we're going to, like, 
you're going to be a great nation. All of this comes out in these remaining verses, even though he blew it with Hagar. In some ways, this is a bit of a restart for Abram. And every, everyone in this room, I think, wants to be whole, don't we? We want to do over to some extent. We want to return to the garden to be put back together again. And so let me, let me just mention three reasons why this audience is better, why with him there is, there is wholeness, an answer to that question, do we want to be whole? First thing is that only, the, only this audience knows us this well. Only this audience knows us this well. He knows what we need and what we want better than we do. He designed it, designed us. He sees it all. He is God Almighty, right? And I, I have to trust he knows what I want better than I do. Again, this is that picture of returning to the intimacy of the garden, that God, he knows us. He invites us into this relationship with him. Because on my own, what I want, I don't know. I mean, most of the time, do you? Like, really know what you want most in the world? Because so often, my desires compete, right? They change. I mean, for example, I want to be a good father and a good husband. I also want to live as if every day is Father's Day, centered upon me, and I get everything I want, right? But the reality is, I can't have both, right? You can't, you can't be a good husband and father and live as if the universe revolves around you. It just doesn't work, but I, I want both. And so what I need is someone outside of me to tell me how best to live, to show me what it looks like to walk in this tension of, of loving others well and, and being made whole by him. And if God is my audience, if he is my God Almighty, then there is some direction in the path towards wholeness of what that ought to look like. Second, so he, know, he knows us uh, better than we know ourselves. He knows us this well. Second, um, only this audience puts people in their proper place. I think this is really important because we, we're a confusing culture. Because in some ways, we've completely said, I don't care what anybody ever thinks about me ever. And yet, we post everything we do on social media to try to gain their approval, right? To see how many likes we can get. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks, as long as they all like me, right? I mean, it's kind of this, this world that we live in. Even if you don't do social media, we're kind of caught in this mix of saying, you know, to hell with the world and everybody in it, as long as, as, long as everybody gets to pat me on the back once in a while, right? It's a confusing spot. But this audience shows us how to keep our relationships without letting them crush us. Let me, let me explain what I mean there, because if, if he is your audience, if God is your audience, then you, other people can't crush you. Their expectations can't control you. Their disappointment can't ruin you. I mean, sigh of relief, people, right? Because God is the one you're trying to please. But without God... Don't miss this. Without God, let's say you just decide, I'm not going to care anymore what others think. If you do that, you're going to end up crushing them because you'll be, you'll be flippant, you'll be self-centered, demanding, and ultimately lonely. You'll ruin every relationship you have if you just say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. But if God is your audience, they won't control you because you're living before him. But you'll also learn to die to your own selfishness and pride. Like, he won't let you get away with treating people like that. 
And you'll learn love and empathy and humility. I mean, does this, does this make sense? Like, if, you, if others are your audience, they're going to crush you under their weight. If you are your only audience, you're going to crush the people you love under your own weight. But if God is your audience, you can have true community with wholeness. And then third. Third, this audience is better because only this audience, only our God can truly set us free. Only God sets us free. And I realize, even as I say that, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, no, this doesn't sound like freedom. If I, if I live my life as if God is always watching, accountable to him, like, there are things I have to say no to, right? There are things that have to change in my life, and maybe, like, it's going to ruin my plans. Like, everything that I want to do, and maybe it, that feels like a prison to you. But I'm convinced it's the opposite. True freedom isn't found in removing all constraints. True freedom is found when we embrace the right constraints. We all have constraints. Do you have the right ones? Let me, let me give an example of this. Kelly and I, yesterday, actually, uh, celebrated 17 years of marriage. And we were... We were just kids. We were 22 years old when we decided to tie our lives to one another, right? And like thinking, thinking about that, looking, looking back on that, like I could have spent those early years doing God knows what, right? Uh, with, without any accountability. Like no, no restraints, nobody to, to expect anything from me. And that, that today, that's culturally, that's what we call freedom, is nobody anywhere who can ask anything of you right? And instead, I fuse my life with someone with opinions. I mean, we had to grow up together. We were 22, right? We didn't know what we were doing. Somebody I had a responsibility to that I had to sacrifice for and compromise with and listen to and forgive and offer forgiveness, to ask forgiveness of, all the time. That is the opposite of, we, of what we call freedom today. And you know, I can tell you from my own personal experience, these chains have given me more joy than any human should ever have. I mean, Kelly is constantly the best part of everything in my life. I mean that, all of it. And with all of those constraints, right, comes greater intimacy, greater delight, and the most meaningful friendship that I can even imagine. Some chains are worth wearing. David Brooks gets this. Uh, he, he wrote a, a fascinating article a couple months ago in the New York Times, Five Lies Our Culture Tells Us. Just go read the whole thing. It's a short article. Uh, but one of them in particular that he, that he pokes at a little bit is, is on, online with what we're talking about here. Uh, he talks about how, how we think today, right, that living, living the good life is having no one ever anywhere tell us what to do, right? But listen, listen to how he responds to that lie. He says, in reality, the people who live best tie themselves down. It's the chains we choose that set us free. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. It's the chains we choose that set us free. To me, what a picture that is of our life with God. And even better. Because yeah, it is a tall order, right? 
I mean, living, living with God before his eyes, I mean, good grief. I mean, we're not even really going to get there, but like just a few verses later, this is where God says, and Abraham, by the way, I also want you to get circumcised, right? That happens. Like, and the reality is if we live before God as our primary audience, right, as our audience of one, there's nothing he can't ask of us. There's nothing, no demand he can't make from us. And it should affect everything about the way that we live. And yet, if there is wholeness with him, I mean, if there really is, if, if, if this really is a move back into the garden, even just a tiny one, to the kind of intimacy, the kind of joy, the kind of peace, I mean, don't you want that? Don't you think these chains are worth it? Reminds me of my favorite tree uh, growing up. Yes, even as a child, I had favorite trees. Um, at least as I remember it, so it was in our front yard. It was, in my mind, it was at least five feet across. I have no idea how big it is, how big it was. And at least, you know, 80 feet tall. Massive tree, and it, complete with a tire swing, right? It was everything a tree should be, uh, or, or so it seemed. But one afternoon, after some light tire swinging, I mean, just... You know, nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, there was a, a piercing crack and then like an earth-shaking thud. And the entire branch, massive branch, just fell right to the earth. I mean, it could have killed everybody. It's awful, right? And then we come to look that the, the branch was hollow. And then we realized that the entire tree from the base to the top was hollow. That even though everything looked great on the outside, man, it was a beautiful tree. It was dying inside. And as a result, deeply dangerous to us and our family, and we had to cut it down, right? It was anything but whole, even though it looked so good. And the reality is, like, how many of us are the same? Like, everything on the outside looks great. You know when to smile at the right times, you've got the right job, the right house, maybe the right family, or whatever, whatever you've kind of built your life around. And living with all of these other audiences, even if it's just yourself, like we could fake it for a long time. Some of us are going to try to fake it our whole lives. But where it matters most, inside, where only God sees. I mean, church, I don't want to, I don't want to end up like that tree. I don't, I don't want to just look good on the outside, right, and have death inside me. The audience you choose determines the life that you live. And only this audience puts us back together again. Only he can fill us. And then Abram falls on his face, right? Don't miss that. Which is probably the right response if God ever shows up and starts talking to you, right? And the reality is, like, even as we talk about this, like, we feel our inadequacy. I think, man, okay, God, really? This is what you, this is what you call us to? And even though we want to be whole, we also know that we are far from wholeness, you and me that we are more like that tree than we care to admit, which is why we need the Lord's table. We need this descendant of Abram, Jesus, to fill us, to come and rescue us, to die for us, to give us hope and life. If if we're gonna walk before God Almighty, we need his forgiveness. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us. We need the promise that he will fill us back up and make us whole.
Amen. Isn't that the audience you want to live before? A God who loves us like that and who promises to make us whole again. Again, thank you so much for being here with us. Happy Father's Day. Hope you have a good day today. However you choose to celebrate or ever the, the things that you carry with you on a day like this. But now as we, as we go into our Monday lives, from being the church gathered to the church scattered, I want to read these words uh, from, from Jeremiah 17. It kind of gives the contrast between the one who lives trusting others to tell them they're okay uh, before that audience and those who trust instead in the Lord. He writes, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. In other words, he's saying, don't be that person. Instead, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Let us be that tree. Amen. Go in peace.